You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Welcome, welcome to Attaboy Clarence. Slip off your coats and slide into a chair. Put your feet up. We're about to enter the glorious world of old Hollywood for a while, so leave your cares at the door and join me. Coming up, we've got Warner Brothers on the mind today. Two 1937 hits ripped straight from the headlines, and both featuring an iconic Warner leading man. There's a superb radio adaptation of a Warner Weepy from the pre-code era, with two surprising co-stars at the helm. I'll tell you what, I'll even give you a clue as to who the iconic Warner leading man is. Have a tune. Children, have you ever met the bogeyman before? No, of course you haven't, for you're much too good, I'm sure. Don't you be afraid of him if he should visit you. He's a great big coward, so I'll tell you what to do. Hush, 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 here comes the bogeyman. Don't let him come too close to you, he'll catch you if he can. Just pretend that you're a crocodile, and you will find that bogeyman will run away a mile. Say shoo, shoo, and stick him with a pin. Bogeyman will very nearly jump out of his skin. Say buzz, buzz, just like the wasp that stings. Bogeyman will think you are an elephant with wings. Hush, 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 here comes the bogeyman. Tell him you've got soldiers in your bed, for he will never guess that they are only made of lead. Hush, hush, he'll think that you're asleep. If you make a lovely snore away, he'll softly creep. Sing this tune, you children, one and all. Bogeyman will run away, he'll think it's Henry Hall. When the shadows of the evening creep across the sky, and your mommy comes upstairs to sing a lullaby, tell her that the bogeyman no longer frightens you. Uncle Henry's very kindly told you what to do. Hush, 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 here comes the bogeyman. Don't let him come too close to you, he'll catch you if he can. Just pretend your teddy bear's a dog. Then shout out, fetch him, teddy, and he'll hop off like a frog. that you're a cat he'll think you may scratch and that will make him fall down flat just pretend he isn't really there you will find that bogeyman will finish in thin air here's 
one way to catch him without fail. Just keep a little salt with you and put it on his page. And that was Hush, 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 It's the Bogeyman from Henry Hall. Kills holders, kills holders, kills soldiers. Kills holders, kills holders. Airwick, a great new discovery. Airwick, Airwick, kills kitchen odors quick. Kills fish, cabbage, onion odors, even stale tobacco odors. Every kind of household odor has to vanish quick. Sounds more like a virus than an air freshener. Sure, folks, Airwick. It's the little bottle with the magic wick that kills unpleasant odors, whether fish, cabbage, onions, cauliflower, or from burned foods. I mean, that's quite limited, if you think about it. And, of course, in the living room, Airwick keeps the odor of stale tobacco smoke out of upholstery and draperies. Can you imagine being the ideal customer for Airwick? You're in the kitchen, eating some fish and cabbage, and you skip on over to the front room for a nice pipe of tobacco. I mean, who are you freshening the air for? The spouse you suffocated to death last year with your breath? Ask your dealer for Airwick, A-I-R-W-I-C-K. Kills odors, kills odors, kills odors, kills odors. Amazing. I do love a bloodthirsty air freshener. Well, before we head on over to the movies today, how's about a trip to everyone's favorite guessing game? See if you can guess who the very famous leading man is. From the clues the panel managed to extract from him, now I'm going to give you a slight clue here, and you'll see why when you listen. Think Swashbuckler, who once appeared in a film with a huge twist. Okay, let's prick up our ears then, listen for the clues, and see if you can tell. Who the hell is that Hollywood legend? All right, panel, as you know, in the case of our mystery celebrity, we dispense with all of the uh, preliminary questioning, get right down to the facts of the case, and we'll begin with Mr. Bennett, sir. You dispense with the applause, first yeah, of all. Either the, there was no applause or my... But suddenly my hearing has gone back on me. Uh, are you in the entertainment business? Yes. You're a man? Yes. Is the reason that they played this dirty trick on us that if they hadn't told them not to applaud, there would have been thunderous applause? Is that correct? I think I'll have to answer that question, Bennett, and say yes. In other words, and you're a recognized star, is that correct? Yes, Yes. that's right. Uh, Have you ever been a star in the movies? Yes. Are you a big star today in the movies? I'll answer that, Bennett, yes, definitely. Gosh, I don't know who's in town. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you wish you'd studied your lessons, Bennett, sir? Have you got a, uh, a big picture either on Broadway or about to come to Broadway? Now? Yes. <laughs> Mickey Mouse? Would it, uh, <laughs> would it be a picture that had something to do with juvenile delinquency? No. That's one down and nine to go, Miss Kilgallen. Are you uh, the big, tall, good-looking type? Would you like to give us specifications here, for instance, when you say tall, how tall do you mean, Dorothy? Well, over six feet. Over six feet? No. That's two down and eight to go, Mr. Cox. Well, I, I, uh, I'm not good at this sort of thing. <laughs> would you like to pass? I pass, yes. You pass? All right, Miss Francis. I'm sorry you passed, Wally. Well, now, you're here in town. Uh, have you ever no. appeared in the theater? Yes. Did you go into pictures from the theater? Yes. Have you uh, appeared in the theater since you have been in pictures? Yes. 
Have you appeared in the theater in the last, let's say, year? Yes. Have you... Are you tall... Are you dark? Yes. Uh, did you ever appear in a play with, a, um, with Judith Anderson? Yes. Have you recently appeared in a play of Christopher Fry's? Yes. Is the play The Dark is light enough, but not yes, quite enough? Yes, it is. And we'll stop it there. So my clue was a swashbuckler who once appeared in a film with a huge twist. Can you work out who it was from what you've heard? We'll check back later and we'll see if you're right. I'm in the mood for love Simply because you near me Oh, funny when you near me I'm in the mood for love Heaven is in your eyes Bright as the stars under Oh, is it any wonder Oh, baby, I'm in the mood love mm-hmm. Why stop to think the weather This little dream might fade We put our hearts together Now we are one I'm not afraid if there's a clouds above. If it should rain, we'll let it all just for the night. Forget it, baby. I'm in the mood for love. Thank you to Mr. Louis Armstrong there with I'm in the mood for love. In actual fact, I'm in the mood for a film and two scorchers here for you today. Now, people these days seem to think that the problems of the world are all brand new. But a quick look at yesteryear will tell you that these issues never really ever go away. For proof, sweep your gaze all the way back to 1937 and to one of Warner's more revealing looks at the peeling paint of a more innocent time. This is Black Legion, starring Humphrey Bogart, Anne Sheridan, and Dick Ferran. And here's a clip. Look at Joe over there. Hey, Dombrowski, what do you got there? A Hunyak back scratcher? Just a slide rule to figure out these stress formulas. What's that got to do with running a lathe? Nothing, but it's got a lot to do with designing one. Oh, running a lathe ain't good enough for you, huh? Now you gotta learn how to design one. Well, it ain't your time he's wasting, is it? Yeah, his going to night school don't hurt you any. Nah, he's always got his nose in a book. Well, it's his nose, ain't it? And a plenty big one at that. Hey, Cliff, why don't you stop? We are following the story of Frank Taylor, a factory worker in a Midwestern town who gets on well with everyone. 
Frank's in particularly fine spirits at the moment because he's about to get promoted to shop foreman after keeping his nose to the grindstone for years. In fact, so sure is Frank of the promotion that he's gone and ordered himself a bit of a treat. Doesn't I make you feel proud and dignified sitting behind that wheel? Oh boy. Then it's a honey of a dashboard too. Strictly airplane type, Mr. Taylor. Yeah, airplane, huh? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good looking cigarette lighter. Yes, does it work? Sure it works, try it. You know, you get 18 miles on a gallon with this car. That ought to mean a lot to a man in your circumstances. Oh. It works, right. Sure it works. I tell you, you get more for your dollar than any car made in this country. Now, of course, you'll want immediate delivery. Well, I won't know till tonight. You see, I'm getting a new job and a raise. Congratulations. I wouldn't want to sign up till they tell me definite. I'd hate to see you wait too long. But at the very last moment, Frank discovers that the promotion has not gone to him, but to one of his fellow workers, a Polish immigrant named Dombrowski, which makes Frank all kinds of mad and resentful. Ah, oh, come on, Frank. No job's worth eating your heart out. Yeah, but it was my job, wasn't it? You said so yourself. Sure, I said so, but the company didn't. They got their own ideas. Well, they ever get the idea Dombrowski was so hot? Well, you know they invented that oiling system that they're using now, and he's saving them plenty of dough. I guess they figured that a guy could do that could save him in other ways, too. Besides, he's always got his nose in the book and going to night school. Or we lay around the house and listen to the radio. Frank, you got to hand it to him. They've already handed it to him, ain't they? I suppose if I went around showing off reading books, they'd make me president of the company or something. Okay, if you want to be a sorehead, forget it. Sorehead? Sure I'm a sorehead. Ain't I got a right to be? How would you like it if you'd been counting on a good break for a long time and you were sure you was going to get it? And all you got was laughed at. After venting his spleen about the perceived unfairness of the situation, Frank is approached by a fellow worker who tells him that there's a pervasive, little-known movement bubbling beneath the surface of society, one that's intent on taking action against so-called outsiders. Spurning American ideals and the sacred principles of which our forefathers fought, they have clung tenaciously to their alien doctrines, foreign faith, and un-American morals, like poisonous vipers. They have patiently bided their time while they fed and fattened on the bleeding bosom of our country. Now, enriched with the jobs they have chiseled away from Americans and drunk with the impotent power of their stolen prosperity, they are openly plotting to seize control of our government, overthrow our glorious republic, and submit the American people to their own dastardly design. I think that gives you enough of an idea as to what the film's about. The slow indoctrination of Frank into the nefarious black legion, a society of disgruntled Americans who are fighting back against what they view as the dilution of their birthrights. Where are you from, Chad? Texas, sir. Yeah? <laughs> what church you go? <laughs> Mr. Taylor, the fact is I don't go much to any of them. Seems like I kind of got out of the church moving habit. Like your job here? Yes, sir. This is about the best job I ever had, sir. I suppose you'd like to keep it then. Yes, sir. I sure would. Well, I want to keep you. You've been doing good work here. But nowadays, that ain't always enough. Well, I ain't sure I quite understand, Mr. Taylor. I mean, are you willing to protect your job? Well, you bets. I'm glad to hear that, because we got a pretty bad problem here in this state. It's full of foreigners, all trying to chisel jobs out of Americans like you and me. It's an extraordinarily uncomfortable watch at times, especially seeing as how we're basically seeing this kind of behavior out in the open these days in places in the world. As such, this film not only plays like a warning from the past, but also is a kind of horror parable. This features a string of truly terrifying moments, and it's all told in such a plausible way that you're left with a very uncomfortable insight into how this kind of viewpoint is born. 
The Black Legion was actually a terrorist organization in the 1930s, and much of what you see in the film is based on the facts known about the group, including their initiation ceremony and the details of some of their crimes. And audiences were both thrilled and horrified by the Warner Brothers' depiction of this domestic terrorist phenomenon. It's tough at times because you don't expect this level of nastiness in a classic movie. It's very well made, very well written, and superbly played, especially by Bogart in one of the roles that really proves his depth. More than that, though, it's a chilling little warning from the past, as I say, that unfortunately goes to prove that our latest woes are nothing new. Definitely worth checking out, that's Black Legion from 1937. Well, Bogart was having a hell of a year in 37. Not only did he burn up the screen in Black Legion, he also played very much on the side of the Angels in another Warner crime classic, in which he's pitted against a particularly vicious gangster and aided in his crusade by the pluckiest girls you can imagine. Bogart stars alongside Betty Davis, Lola Lane, Isabel Jewell, Mayo Matho, Jane Bryan, Alan Jenkins, and Eduardo Cinelli in another quite brutal little crime fable, Marked Woman. Well, what did they expect a girl to look like at six in the morning after dragging a lot of heavyweight shoe salesmen around the dance floor all night? Like a debutante? I bet if he saw me when I'd just come to work and my makeup was fresh. Oh, let's skip it, Estelle, and go to bed. We're all fagged out. Well, let him fire me. What do I care? I don't want any part of his clip joints anyway. And if you do, you're crazy. Might as well put a gun in our hands and send us out on stick-ups. Well, what are you going to do? You heard what he said. It's vanning or nothing. Well, this isn't the only way to make a living. Betty Davis is Mary, a hostess at a nightclub whose job it is to take special care of the well-paying clients. She and her fellow hostesses generally end the day with sore feet, sore heads, and a raft of suitors, all clamouring for their embraces. It's all they can do to repel the wolves long enough to get some rest each night before the whole circus starts again the next day. We've all tried this twelve and a half a week stuff. It's no good. Living in furnished rooms, walking to work. Going hungry a couple of days a week so you can have some clothes to put on your back. I've had enough of that for the rest of my life. And so have you. Well, of course she has. She just burned up because Johnny said she was getting old. Aren't you, honey? The club they work at is taken over by one of the city's most notorious gangsters, Johnny Vanning, played by Eduardo Cinelli, who's renowned for his vicious methods of management. I'm taking over this joint. From now on, you're working for me, understand? Most of you have been around long enough to know how I operate. If you don't, read the papers and find out. Up to now, this nightclub racket's been run on a penny-ante basis. That's out. From now on, I'm organizing it. When I organize anything, I make it pay big money, or else. One night, one of Mary's clients, who spent the whole night running up an extortionate bill at Johnny's club, confides in her that he doesn't have the money to pay up. Boy, they sure took me to the cleaners. You had a good time, didn't you? Never had a better time in my life. I'd like to do it all over again. Well, I guess you can afford it. Afford it? <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> you were thinking I could afford it. Listen, sister. I don't make that much money in a year, let alone spend it. Do you mean to tell me that you haven't got the money to pay off? No, not a red cent. I'm just putting out an ad. Boy, I'd like to see the look on their faces when they try to cash that check. Oh, will that be funny? Yeah, like a funeral. Yours. Huh? And that's what you're going to have if they don't get their money. 
What are you talking about? Don't you know that you're messing around with the toughest gang in town? It cut your throat for a dime. So you can imagine what they're going to do to you for that kind of money. Say, are you kidding me? Well, if you don't believe me, stick around and find out. The next day, the guy is found floating in the river and investigating the killing is District Attorney David Graham, played by Humphrey Bogart. If he can link Vanning to the killing, then he can bring down the whole rotten empire, but he'll need the help of Mary in order to do so. Will she be willing to put herself at risk in order to see justice done? Now, last night about 10 o'clock, four men came into the club. They sat down with you girls. You had some drinks and you danced. There isn't any law against that, is there? One of those men was Ralph Crawford. He was with you. The other four left about one o'clock. You and he stayed. You lost a lot of money gambling. Then you left together in a cab. Where'd you go? Home. What'd you do when you got there? Nothing. I got out and he went off in the cab. Where? I don't know. Well, the cab driver just testified a few minutes ago that you told him to take Crawford to the Waldorf Ritz Hotel. How do you account for that? Supposing I did. Then you did know where he was going. Well, I knew where he was starting for, but I didn't know where he was going to wind up. And you didn't see him between the time he checked out of his hotel and the time we found him murdered? No. Can you prove you didn't? Can you prove I did? Now, it might sound as though I've given away all of the plot. In actual fact, I've only given you the first 20 minutes or so. There's way more plot to go. But I think it's best to stop here with the description as you get the sense of what it's about. The real thrills come when Mary's sister, played by Jane Bryan, arrives wide-eyed into the story and the twists that follow are both harrowing and haunting. Oh, and that's before you even get to the meaning of the film's title, and it isn't what you think, believe me. What I really like about it is this strong thread of female empowerment in the film, quite a rarity for movies of this type and of this era. Yes, there is an element of damsel in distress to the first half, and the girls are all dancers or moles or eye candy, but they all find their voice, they find their strength, and the nail-biting ending is a grand line in taking the power back. Everyone in this film is a powerhouse, especially Bogart and Davis, but also look for some wide-eyed terror from Isabel Jewell, who gets her own shocker of a side plot, with some marvellous tension thrown in there. The basic story is one of a gang of terrorised girls who find that banding together to fight back really does multiply their strengths, and it contains an absolutely iconic final shot as they collectively journey off to their fate together. It's way better than most Warner crime potboilers and surprisingly brutal for a film that's well inside the code. In fact, it feels to me like a spiritual successor to Three on a Match, which is a totally unhinged, unbridled take on crime. This has the reins pulled back quite a lot, but it's still got that grungy, dangerous feel to it. I really like it. That's 1937's Marked Woman, one of the best Warner crime films that came in the wake of the code. Well, seeing as how Humphrey is our through line for today's show, let's make it a hat trick and join him for a beautifully staged adaptation of one of pre-code Hollywood's most fondly remembered dramas and a story that remains unforgettable by all who see it. This is what I love about old-time radio, the fantasy football casting you get from time to time. This particular story starred William Powell and Kay Francis all the way back in 1932 on the screen. In 1945, the Colgate Theatre brought it back to the hearts of millions, this time featuring Humphrey Bogart and Joan Bennett. 
Get those handkerchiefs at the ready. We're about to set sail on a one-way passage. See you afterwards. Warner Brothers, producers of the soon-to-be-released San Antonio, brought to the screen some years ago one of the most beautiful and dramatic love stories of all time. It created an impression never to be forgotten. And the Colgate Halo Theater of Romance is particularly proud to present tonight the Gene Holloway adaptation of this great story, One Way Passage. Here is your play, and here are your stars, Humphrey Bogart and Joan Bennett. for the first time, Joan and I, at a bar in Hong Kong. There was no one to introduce us, but there are times when people need no introductions. I was standing there alone, except for the bartender, and more than a little bit lonely. I asked the bartender to let me mix my own drink. He looked at me like I was crazy. You know, you're the first customer I've ever had that wanted to mix his own drinks. I'm very particular about how my drinks are made. What do you call that? Paradise. When anyone comes along who knows that every second of life is important, you make him one of these. I know every second is important. Okay, lady. And have a few drops of paradise. Thanks. My name's Dan. Mine's Joan. Hello, Joan. Hello, Dan. Shall we drink to our brief meeting? Yes. Hail and farewell. Come on, Joan. We'll miss the boat. Oh, those are my friends. Would you like to meet them? Luck has allowed us only a few drops of a cocktail. And the others might spoil it. You're right. We'll trust luck to come around again. Wait a minute, Joan. There's a bit of a ceremony to the finish of our cocktails. Oh, bartender. Are a couple of dollars enough? What for? These glasses. Oh, sure. They're ours now, Joan. And so that no one else can share our paradise, we'll break them. There. Goodbye, Dan. Goodbye, Joan. Before we met for the second time, each of us brushed shoulders with death. Death walked up to me with a gun in his pocket and said his name was Steve Burke. It's been a long chase, Dan. Now, don't try anything. My gun's in my pocket and my finger's on the trigger. Okay, kid. Where do we go now? The boat and then San Quentin. I've got to get my clothes. I always look, always like to look my best on my way to an execution. Your clothes are on board. Oh, very considerate of you. <laughs> Here, you, uh, you don't mind sharing a bracelet with me, do you? Must we be so chummy? Yeah, this time you're not getting away. Come on, Dan, let's get moving. We got a boat to catch. Tell me, how did you manage to trail me out of Sagan? The porter. You gave him 400 francs to keep his mouth shut. I gave him 500 to talk. Now, isn't that enough to shatter one's faith in human nature? You know, you ought to be very grateful to me on the whole, Steve. How many cops get a chance to take a trip around the world? <laughs> Marseilles, Algiers, Cairo, and now Hong Kong, Honolulu, and uh, San Francisco. You're right. You know, you're a pretty nice guy, Hardesty. It's too bad you had to commit murder. I'm not sorry. The guy was a rat. He had it coming to him. Well, fortunately, or unfortunately for you, the courts administer justice in our country. So I guess this is the last lap for you, Nan. Yeah, I know. And I would have to make it in handcuffs. Well, maybe we'll take them off when we get out of ways. I'll take my chances on you as long as it's a long swim from land. (laughs) 
I didn't know that Joan would be on that same boat. Or that at that very instant she was having her own terrifying moment. Turn down the bed right away. Miss Ames is going to bed and rest. Yes, Doctor. No, I'm not going to bed. We'll be casting off in a few minutes. I want to be up on deck for that. You don't obey a doctor's orders? Oh, I used to, but not anymore. Why should I? Have you had the seriousness of your case explained to you? Don't you know that absolute rest and care are indicated? Yes, but I... I don't want to pass the little time I have left just lying down waiting to die. So I keep waltzing around the world and no one knows except my maid. You see, Doctor, there's nothing more devastating than kind, pitying people when, when you're in a fix like this. I don't want pity or sympathy. When it happens, I want all the lights going in an orchestra playing. And I want to be on my way someplace. Don't you see how important every minute is to me? Yes, I do see. But if you should need me, let me know. Yes, I will, Doctor, and thank you. We met Joan and I for the second time in the ship's bar as the sun was going down. Two people who knew that every second was important because they could almost count theirs to the end. Hello, Dan. Hello, Joan. The luck's come back. So I see, in full measure. Oh, uh, I'd like you to meet an old friend of mine, Mr. Burke. Hello, Mr. Burke. Glad to meet you. Steve and I are, well, uh... <laughs> We're uh, sort of traveling together. How nice. Yeah, we're together all the time. May I borrow him once in a while? You sure may, as long as you're careful not to lose him. No, I won't lose him. Come out on deck, Dan. Go ahead, Dan. It's a nice sunset. Thanks. See you later. The day knows how to go out, doesn't it, Dan? What does the setting sun make you think of? Oh, the Angelus. <laughs> It's a silly game, but will you play it with me? Anything. What is it? It's a game where I can find out all about you. Oh, what do we do? I say words or phrases, and you say whatever comes to your mind. Go ahead. Water. Laughter. And laughter? You. Life. Death. Good. Green grass. Bare feet. White clouds. Freedom. Excitement. Your eyes. Cabbages. Kings. Will-o'-the-wisp. Quickly. Sadness. A long search. Love. The end of the search. You know all about me now? Yes. Oh, listen, do you know that song they're playing? Where was I? The moon was high. The night that you first listened to a lie. Where was I? I always felt... <laughs> What's the matter? Am I boring you? No, 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 not, not at all. I was just wishing... Wishing what? That you had been the girl next door. And that I had met you a long time ago. After our second meeting, we met every day, holding on to each moment as though it were the last... Always reluctant to see the day end. Those were brilliant, exciting, slightly desperate hours. Have you said anything to the girls, Anne? No. Well, I don't blame you. I'm meeting her now up on deck. We'll be in Honolulu tomorrow. You better not make any plans. You won't be getting off the ship. Yeah, I know.
wonderful? Where are we? I haven't known since Hong Kong. We're on a ship in the Pacific. One very small ship on one very big ocean. Tomorrow we'll be in Honolulu. Five days from tomorrow, you'll be at the Golden Gate. I'll be? Where will you be? I don't know. You want to ask me any questions? No. I think you'll be going through the Golden Gate with me. Look at those stars. They're like us. Tiny specks lost for all time in their own unending ocean. Will you teach me all the important things you know? How did you find them out? If I told you, that would spoil it. There aren't going to be any questions between us except the ones your eyes ask and my eyes answer. Nothing said? Nothing except what my heart says and your heart understands. Darling. Oh, my darling. Dan, that kiss was like the beginning of the world. For the end. Not the end. Tomorrow we'll be in Honolulu all day. And I'm going to take you way up in the mountains where you can look down and see the ocean on all sides. And you'll hear music, but you won't know where it comes from. No one does. It's a legend. Well, what's wrong? What are you thinking about? You. told you not to try to talk to me on deck, Rocky. No one's around. And Steve from the bar talking to Countess. All right, talk fast. Everything's set. The Countess is going to take care of Steve. She's going to slip him some knockout drops in his drink. Now, if you can get off the boat when we dock in the morning, Lamb will be waiting. He's got a freighter on the other side of the island to take you off. Okay, thanks, Rocky. I'll get off. And ditch that dame, will you? If you don't get off tomorrow, it's your last chance. And if you lose it, it's curtains. I won't lose it. Don't worry. <laughs> ordered is waiting on the dock, Miss Jones. It's a beautiful morning. You should have a glorious day. All right, Louise, thank you. Find Mr. Hardesty for me and tell him I'm waiting. Mr. Hardesty, my name's Walter Lamb. You got the boat ready? Yeah, the captain's name is Hogue. His ship's the Marianne. She's waiting with a steam up. All right, let's get out of here. All right, there you are, you truant. Where have you been, Dan? Oh, hello there. I've been hunting everywhere for you. Disappeared into thin air. Well, yes, I... You see, I had some business. I'll... I'll have to see you later, Joe. Oh, Dan, I had everything planned. I have a picnic lunch. Did you forget? We were going up in the mountains. Well, no, but I, I got tied up oh, and... Oh, please come, Dan. Just for a little while. We're all ready to shove off, Hardesty. Yeah, well, let's see you. Suppose I make it a little later. Where are you, over on Front Street? Well, yes, but you'd better come now while the coming's good. I'll be there in an hour. If you're wanted on this island, it doesn't take long to find you. I won't be more than an hour. Come on, Joan. Let's have a look at your mountain. to Helen's romance. Oh, it's fizzled out, like all Helen's love affairs. That's too bad. And I'll bet she doesn't suspect why. Oh, of course not. She doesn't dream she has a little breath of trouble. That's why we recommend Colgate Tooth Powder. You see, anyone can be the victim of a little breath of trouble. I mean unpleasing breath. It happens to thousands without their knowing, marks them down socially, brings them unhappiness, and they seldom suspect the real reason. Don't let that breath of trouble catch up with you. Do this. Brush your teeth night and morning and before every date with Colgate Tooth Powder. 
For Colgate Tooth Powder cleans your breath as it cleans your teeth. Yes, scientific tests prove that Colgate Tooth Powder in seven cases out of ten instantly stops unpleasing breath that originates in the mouth. And when it comes to cleansing, money can't buy a dentifrice that will clean your teeth better or quicker than Colgate Tooth Powder. Remember the name, Colgate Tooth Powder, with the accent on powder. And now Colgate Tooth Powder and Halo Shampoo bring you the second act of One Way Passage. Starring Humphrey Bogart and Joan Bennett. And so Joan and I borrowed an hour and left the world behind. She sat, leaning back against a tree more beautiful than any woman would ever be again. Because she was the last woman for me. And I knew it. Dan, you know, when I was a little girl, I used to think that heaven was a place with golden streets where everyone went fluttering around like mad on wings. I didn't have any idea then that heaven would turn out to be a little spot in the mountains above Honolulu. I wish we could stay here forever. Do you think you could be happy living the rest of your life with me? I don't think I could ever be happy any other way, now. Look, there's something I've got to tell you. Is it serious? Very. Oh, then don't tell me today. We're not real, you know. This mountain isn't real. Nothing about us is real. I don't think anything else is real. We meet two strangers in a cocktail bar in China. We part, and then we meet again. We fall in love. And yet we still know so little about each other. It doesn't make sense. It can't be real. I don't want to know any more than I know now. Do you? But what kind of people are we? What have we done? What do we intend to do? Well, about the past, I think I was born the first time you looked at me. And about the future, well, if I ever lose you, I think I'll die. And in between the past and the future, we have this. And you can't say this isn't real. You're sure nothing, that nothing else matters? Very sure. You don't question the gifts the gods bring. Maybe you don't. Listen, there must be a fire down there. No. More likely they're hunting for someone. Got to get out of here. Come on, Joan. All right, Dan. Well, why are you stopping the car here? This isn't our Joan, ship. Joan, you're going aboard without me. I'm not going. Please don't ask me why. Well, if you're not sailing, neither am I. Joan, there's no time to lose. I've left everything to say until the last moment, and now it's too late and there isn't time. I tried to tell you, but you wouldn't listen. Please believe me. We'll meet somewhere, somehow. I'll write to you from wherever I find myself. Where, where are you going? Somewhere. I don't know. I'm sailing on a freighter just off here as soon as I can make it. I'm coming with you. Darling, you can't. Now be a good girl and listen to me. I'll go anywhere with you, anywhere. Please get out of here, Joan. You've got to. I know. I've known a goodbye in everything you've said and looked. I wish I could have meant more to you. Are you afraid, Dan? Did the ship doctor say something to you? No. No one said anything. Oh, don't lie to me. He must have you know, and now you don't want me. Oh, Dan, please take me. Please take me. Joan. Joan, what's wrong? Joan. Odyssey, they're hunting all over the island for you. Where are you going? I've got to get this girl back on the ship. She's fainted. (laughs) 
Doc. You got her back to the ship just in time. Dan? Yes, dear. Don't leave me. Say you won't leave me. He's not going to leave you. I'd like to speak to you a moment, Hardesty. Yeah, of course. I'll be back in a moment, darling. I don't want you to upset her in any way. That girl is suffering from a chronic heart ailment. It's only a matter of months, perhaps even weeks. If she has the slightest cause for emotion, we could lose her now. Come on, Dan, will you? You can still make it. No, not now, he can't. You're coming with me, Dan. Steve, you've got to trust me. You've got, you've got to let me stay with Joan. You've got a heck of a nerve asking me to trust you now. You've just got to. If she knew the truth about me, it would kill her. I tried to tell her and couldn't. Now she mustn't know. That's right, Mr. Burke. This man is my prisoner, Doc. It's only five days to San Francisco. That's the most she and I can ever have. My breaking days are over, Steve. Whatever my word is worth to you. Will you take it? Okay, Dan. I'll take it. Thanks, Copper. So the ship went on toward San Francisco. And at last, she and I, who knew the importance of every second, met for the last time. And somehow I think we both knew it was the last time, though neither of us said so. No moon tonight. Look how black the sky is. No, we don't need the moon now. That's strictly a prop for people who are just getting acquainted. It doesn't seem possible that we could ever have been strangers. Never. You know, Joan... Men pretend not to need things. I've tried to pretend, tried to be the lone hunter, but down inside I've... I've been like everybody else. One half of something looking for the other half. Me? You. Dan, there's no one like you. I could talk to you forever. Will you talk to me forever? If there's a God, I will. Hello, Dan. It's getting chilly. How about turning in? San Francisco in the morning, you know. Okay, Steve, whatever you say. Come on, Joan. Let's slip down to the bar for one final drink. A goodbye one. Here you are. A few drops of paradise. Yep. What does San Francisco mean to you, Dan? A lot of things. The end of a lot of things. I love San Francisco. I always have, too, until now. Why now? The end of our journey. But we'll be together. Yes, we will. After a little while. Not more business like Honolulu. Oh, a little. As a matter of fact, I'm leaving immediately for Mexico City. Oh, well, could I? Do you think... No. I'm making the plans for us. After all, I am the man of the family. All right, darling. What are the plans? You and I are meeting in Mexico City at the Palace Bar on New Year's Eve. Oh, it's so long to wait. I'm not going to try to explain it now, but... Well, that's the way it's got to be. Okay? Okay. The Palace Bar, Mexico City, New Year's Eve. And until then, Dan, you'll be with me in my heart. Hello, Miss Ames, Mr. Hardesty. Hello, Captain. Have a drink? Thanks. I, I think there's one more in the shaker. Yep. You know, these last drinks at the end of a long journey are always a little gay and always a little sad. Oh, I've had many journeys endings, and I always propose this one little toast. Here's to all aboard. Wherever they may journey on, may long life and health continue with them. 
And in fair weather and calm seas, may we one day meet again. Shall we drink to that? Yes. Well, you don't mind if we break our glasses, do you, Captain? It's a little ceremony of ours. Why, uh, not at all. Thanks, Captain. And here's to one meeting. One special meeting. In Mexico City on New Year's Eve. To that meeting. To that meeting. I'll be glad when this night's over. Never saw so many drunks even in a palace bar before. Yeah, Mexico City's really roaring tonight. Hey, what happened to those two drinks I just put down here? Hello, John. Hello, Dan. Well, how in the heck did those glasses break? There they are in pieces. Well, I'll be hanged. Well, I say whoever did it, may they have a happy new year. Wasn't that lovely? Humphrey Bogart and Joan Bennett in roles originated by William Powell and Kay Francis. That was the Colgate Theatre's version of One Way Passage. And if you want to see the original pre-code movie, also starring Aline McMahon and Frank McHugh, then remember that One Way Passage is one of over 700 films available right now to co-producers of this show. Simply sign up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret. Only takes a moment. And not only will you have instant access to the whole library, but also over 100 bonus editions of this very show, all with reviews and radio plays of their very own, as well as a weekly film club night where you can watch these movies with me and a whole room of fellow classic movie lovers all online everything provided just click and join all you need to do is take one moment to go on over to patreon.com slash secret sign up and you're off to the races there's a patreon app that makes everything easy plus you can even use your own podcast app of choice to subscribe to your very own secret podcast feed only you have access to it where hundreds of hours of hollywood glory are instantly available for you to listen to patreon.com slash secret or click the link in the show notes and i will see you there Oh, just time to find out who the hell that Hollywood legend was. Have you recently appeared in a play of Christopher Fry's? Yes. Is the play The Dark is light enough, but not yes, quite enough? Yes, it is. <laughs> is it Teron Power? Yes! Yes, it was Tyrone Power. Bit of a tough one to get this time, hence the clues. The swashbuckler from the Mark of Zorro was also Leonard Vol in Witness for the Prosecution, an Agatha Christie adaptation with a huge twist. Did you get it? If you didn't, then I won't hold it against you this time. It's very hard. Well, that is it from me for this very Warner Brothers edition. Thank you for joining me. These shows will be flying to you every other week from now on. Sorry for the irregularity lately, but we're back on track now. Until we speak next, I hope you've had a great festive holiday. I hope you're taking spectacular care of yourselves and those you love. And bye for now. Welcome to the future in this year's wildest super fun show for adults. Hey gang, it's Josh Olson. 
And Joe Dante. And we want to tell you about our podcast. It's about movies. Josh, there are a thousand podcasts about movies. Sure, but ours is different, Joe. That's true, actually. Our guests are writers, directors, musicians, comedians, actors. Hell, we even have other podcasters on. We play no favorites, and they don't talk so much about their own work about the movies that have influenced them and made them who they are. We call it the movies that made me. We've talked with people like Guillermo del Toro, Little Stevie Van Zandt, Martin Short, Ethan Hawke, William Freakin, Barbara Crampton, Jonathan Ross, Dennis Lehane, Mark Duplass, Adam McKay, Lorraine Newman, Jason Reitman, Alison Anders, Elijah Wood, Stephen Canals, Eli Roth, Joe Bob Briggs, Roger Corman, Bobcat Goldthwait, Leon Douglas, Dana Gould, Martin Campbell, Shane Black, Albert Hughes, Emily Deschanel, Joe Biafra, Larry Fessenden, Nicole Hawson, Shaka King, Lee Daniels, Roslyn Chow, Clancy Brown, Harvey Smith, Ike Barrels, David Arquette, Thomas Wilder, Jimmy, and Uwe Boll. It may not be highbrow, but it's lots of fun. Subscribe for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. In color to thrill you as never before, 